Welcome to Palm Sunday at Grace. We're really glad that you're here. Hey, let's start by looking at God's word together, a provocative passage where Jesus is dialoguing with his disciples. It's found in Matthew's gospel, chapter 16. And let's start here by looking at verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he said to his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Son of Man, by the way, is Jesus' most common phrase describing himself. It was a term of humility, Son of Man. They replied, well, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am. Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You know, as a child, I was read the story of the Pied Piper. It is one of those little stories that has endured down through many, many centuries. It originated in the Middle Ages, and the story goes something like this. You see, there was a, a town that had a problem with rodents. They just had rats and rats upon rats everywhere, and they didn't really know what to do to get rid of them. But something had to be done. And so a guy came along and said, look, pay me what I'm worth, and I'll get rid of your rodents. I'll get the job done. The people said, well, we will pay you. He did the job, but they refused to pay. Or as some iterations of the story go, at least they didn't pay in full. So as the story goes on, the Pied Piper then began to blow his pipe a second time. And now, instead of rats and rodents following him out of the city, the children of the community followed him out and were never heard from again. Now, if you Google that story, as I did this week, just to get a sense of the various meanings that people say are behind the story, what is the theme? What's the main point of the story? I think you'll be amazed as I was. Nobody knows. <laughs> I mean, there's all kinds of different assessments of what the main point is. But certainly, one of the common messages is about the seduceability of people. How easy it is, in other words, for us to follow after someone who makes promises only to be disappointed in the end because someone didn't keep their agreement or someone exploited another. There's just something about human nature, I suppose, that we're a bit gullible. We can be led easily astray. In the 20th century, perhaps the most dr dramatic example of that was Nazi Germany bowing at the feet of Hitler, who made all these promises, and intelligent, and I mean very intelligent human beings, blindly fell into step with his piping. And with a matter of years, because they were seduced, they were a nation in utter ruin. 
I think we've watched it in our own country. We've seen people bow at the feet of entertainers, politicians, celebrities, professional athletes who are popular. Come on, all you gotta have is a slick word, pretty face, sure doesn't hurt. Make a bunch of promises and there will always be a percentage of the population that will follow. But I suppose the most disturbing area for me is probably the whole world of religion. I mean, I think that Christians can be very seduced by the human voices of preachers and so-called prophets and evangelists and religious personalities. We'll often take as gospel truth the word of almost anyone as long as they have some charisma, an attractive appearance, as long as they can draw a crowd over some form of electronic media. We will swear by them, we will commit to them, we will take their word as gospel truth, sometimes without ever asking, wait a minute, what's the end game here? Where is all of this leading? People are often easily seduced. And it was certainly true in Jesus' day as well. Human nature has not changed. There were all these false voices. And so Jesus, in the story we just read, he asked his disciples, hey, who are people out on the street? What's the word out there? What are they saying about me and who I am? And you saw what they said. Some say, well, Jeremiah, some John the Baptist, some... Some, some unnamed prophet, but just about everybody thinks you're a pretty amazing guy, Jesus. And then Jesus asks the question that pulls the trigger on the moment. He gets personal. What about you? I mean, you guys have been watching me. You've been observing up close and personal. We've been kind of doing life here together. What have you concluded about who I am? What an important question for them. And what an important question for us. I don't know where you would consider yourself in the whole realm of belief or Christianity or what your creed may be or what sort of commitment you feel you've made. But I wonder today, who do you say Jesus is? How would you answer that? The great reformer, the great leader called Martin Luther, who lived uh, in the 1500s, he said that when Jesus came into the world, he came with primarily three functions or roles. Here they are. He came as prophet. He came as priest. He came as king. Those are the three functions. And of course, Martin Luther isn't the only one who said that. Many other eminent Scholars have said the same, and I think we see those three roles, prophet, priest, king, easily outlined in the scriptures. But that presents us with a dilemma. If Martin Luther is right, if we really do see that message in scripture as Jesus, as prophet, priest, and king, we've got a dilemma on our hands because we don't know many prophets, we care very little for priests, and most of us have virtually nothing in common with kings. 
And yet, if we're to understand Jesus, we need to know the sum and substance of what these words mean. You see, the people in Jesus' day had great expectations of who was to come. They expected those three things. They expected a great prophet that would be greater than Moses, who was considered the greatest. They expected a priest who would greatly outdistance anyone in the Aaronic priesthood or the tribe of Levi. And they expected a king who, believe it or not, would actually overshadow the greatest king of all, King David, in their minds. They expected all those, but here's what they didn't get. Here's what the people then didn't understand, that all three of those could be realized in one person. And yet, that's exactly who Jesus was and is. The great prophet, the great priest, and the great king. And so that's what I want to unpack with you for a few minutes today on this Palm Sunday. First of all, I want you to consider with me Jesus, the great prophet, the great prophet. In John 4, 25, John's gospel 4, verse 25, Jesus talked with a Samaritan woman. And I want you to see what she said there. She said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming She had these religious expectations and beliefs. When he comes, he will explain. What a statement this is. He will explain everything to us. How did she get that belief? She had it. She expected a great person to come who would be able to explain all truth and just make everything clear. I think she got it from Deuteronomy chapter 18 where Moses writes, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet, here it is, like me from among your own brothers, you must listen to him. Now, why do they need to listen? Because prophets, their primary task, watch this, is to bring God's truth to humans. God gives them a revelation and they begin to speak on behalf of God. A pretty audacious thing to do, I think you'll agree. In fact, they even use the words, thus saith the Lord, when they're speaking on behalf of God. Now their message, whoo, is pretty unpleasant a lot of times. And so the life expectancy of prophets is pretty short, all right? They often got treated pretty badly. In fact, Jesus in his day even described the religious leaders of his day as you who kill the prophets. That's how they were described because they were so hard on genuine prophets who brought truth from God. But why? Why were they treated so badly? Because truth is often hard to hear, isn't it? In fact, in fact, It's always been hard to swallow. When we get faced with the reality about our situation, who we are, what we're doing, we don't want to hear that. And yet, the scripture says that Jesus is the great prophet. In fact, I would suggest to you that every book of the Old Testament, 39 of them in all, Every one of them prefigures in some way or foreshadows Jesus, 
as this great prophet. In Genesis, he's the seed of the woman. In Exodus, he's the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he's our great high priest. In Numbers, he's that pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. In Deuteronomy, he's a prophet like unto Moses. In Joshua, he's the captain of our salvation. In Judges, he's our great judge and lawgiver. In Ruth, he's our kinsman redeemer. In Samuel, he is our great trusted prophet. In Kings and Chronicles, he's our reigning king. In Ezra, he's our faithful scribe. In Nehemiah, he's the real rebuilder of the broken walls of our lives. In Esther, he's our Mordecai. In Job, he is our redeemer, whoever lives. In Psalm, he's the Lord, our shepherd. In Proverbs, in Ecclesiastes, he's our wisdom. In the Song of Solomon, he is our bridegroom. In Isaiah, he's the prince of peace. In Jeremiah, he's the righteous branch. In Lamentations, he's the weeping prophet. In Daniel, he's the fourth man in the fire. Right there with you when you're going through the crucibles of life. In Hosea, he's the faithful husband married to the backslider. In Joel, he's the baptizer in the Holy Ghost and fire. In Amos, he's our burden bearer. In Obadiah, he's the mighty savior. In Jonah, he's the great foreign missionary going to people that nobody gives a rip about. In Micah, he's the messenger with beautiful feet. In Nahum, he's the avenger of God's beloved. In Habakkuk, he's God's evangelist crying out passionately for revival. In Zephaniah, he's the restorer of God's lost heritage. In Haggai, he's a cleansing fountain. In Zechariah, he's a merciful father. In Malachi, he's the son of righteousness, rising with healing in his wings. Thank God today for Jesus, the great prophet. Amen. Amen. But now here's the question. What does all this mean for you? You as an individual. You see, millions of people in our country are desperately searching for some truth outside of themselves by which they can guide their lives. Do you realize, this is a fact now, this is not preacher's hype, there are more spiritual mediums and channelers in our nation today than orthodox ministers of the gospel. Did you know that? That's how desperate people are for a word of truth to guide them. People are crying out saying, where should I go? Which way do I turn? What is truth? Where can I find life? And the great prophet stands towering over time. And he says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And so wherever you are on your journey today, you need the great prophet. You need the truth that he brings, truth directly from the heart 
from the mind of God, the God who cares about you. Now, don't get me wrong. Husbands and wives can be prophet and prophetess to each other in a limited way as we speak the truth in love. Trusted friends with appropriate confrontations can bring needed truth into your life and mind. But, listen, the standard by which all advice, all utterances, all truth is measured is Jesus Christ, the great prophet. And that's the one I'm commending to you today. Is he in your life? Do you realize your need for him? Someone who can stand no matter where you are, what you're going through, and say, this is the way, follow me. I will guide you into all truth. That's what Jesus does. But secondly, I want you to consider in these minutes, Jesus, the great priest. Now, I said that prophets primarily bring truth. Priest primarily majored in grace, mercy, and forgiveness. Prophets brought God and his truth to humans. Priests bring humans to God. But if they're gonna do that effectively and play that mediatorial role, that means they have to have both knowledge and caring sensitivity. That's what a priest has to have, and Jesus, our high priest, has both. I want you to consider this classic passage from the book of Hebrews where it says, since then we have a great high priest, that's describing Jesus, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, <coughs> but one who's been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. So in light of that, what do we do? Let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in time of need. What is, it, what is he saying there? He's saying that Jesus, our great priest, does not hover over us like an ethereal balloon. No, he's come down in flesh and blood. He's come among us. He's lived our life. <laughs> He's tasted the salt in our tears. He's lived on this planet. And so he understands. And it's in him that we can have a relationship that is secure and solid. Now question, where are you gonna find anyone who knows you like that? Someone who combines both complete knowledge about you and who has compassion for your faults as well. Where are you gonna find someone like that? You know, it's interesting. Our world is enamored right now with all the wonders of artificial intelligence. You've been reading about it, right? You've been hearing about it. I've read several articles just this past week about AI, and I don't mean Allen Iverson for all you basketball fans, aficionados, <clears throat> but artificial intelligence, particularly right now, chat GPT. What an amazing tool it is. But you know, even chat GPT gets some things wrong. Just a few days ago, one of our pastors, Pastor Tim Kong, 
on our church staff, ask ChatGPT this question. He just said, just to test it out, tell me about Grace Fellowship Church in New York. That was the request. And the computer quickly spit out several, several paragraphs describing the church. And we know, we know it's the right church because some of the details make it clear that ChatGPT has the correct church. But the following, and I wanna show you this now, are the first two sentences that it gave about Grace Fellowship as described by ChatGPT. Grace Fellowship Church is a Christian church located in New York State. The church was founded in 1991 by Pastor Rex Keener and his wife, Shirley. Now, I don't, I don't know if you caught it or not, but there's actually an error there. Now, when we first heard this, we were home when we saw this for the first time, and when we saw when we saw that ChatGPT had gotten the wrong founding date for the church, I just want you to know, folks, Shirley and I laughed our heads off. We just laughed. In fact, in fact, I don't think I've ever seen Shirley laugh so hard in her life as she did when we saw that they got the founding date wrong on this, all right? Listen, I'm glad that ChatGPT is not my high priest. Not only does it botch some of the fine details, but it thinks I'm married to Shirley. All right? I want a high priest who knows the facts and who really cares about me and the de details of my life. And our great prophet and priest Jesus is full of both, both grace and truth. If Jesus had just been truth, that truth perhaps would have consumed us. He is grace and truth. He not only shows us where we've fallen short of God's fellowship, but that through his forgiveness, we can be restored to God in fellowship. Who is Christ? He's the great prophet. He's the great priest. But finally today, I want you to consider this last part of who Martin Luther, and that I think Scripture confirms that Jesus is. I want you to consider Jesus the great king. As a prophet, he brings God to humans. As a priest, he brings humans to God. As a king, he brings us to cheerful obedience. Listen, there must be a moment in our lives when we bend our knees and bow our hearts to the great king. We can bow now because we want to. We can bow later because we have to. But ever since King David, the Jews looked forward to that moment when the kingly throne would be restored. Oh, they anticipated that. Isaiah wrote about it in Isaiah chapter nine. He said, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of a government and peace, there will be no end. 
He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. In other words, it's gonna be done. You can count on it. Those words are just dripping, dripping with permanency and power and sovereignty. Of the increase of his government, there will be no end. Hitler boasted. Hitler boasted that the Third Reich would last a thousand years. Isaiah said that the government of Christ will last forever. And it's a government that will be built on justice. All people on level ground before God. No discrimination between the classes. Can you imagine a world like that? Can you imagine a place like that? Where people aren't discriminated against because of their educational level or the color of their skin or their pedigree, their background. Everyone stands humbled before the king. And where do you see that theme showing up in the New Testament? Well, I would suggest to you that it shows up in so many places, but one of them is Philippians chapter two, who being in very nature God, describing Jesus, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's the servant and priestly role of Christ. But I want you to look now at the verses that follow that, starting in verse nine, because it describes his exaltation as king. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, I, I just think that in a culture like ours, it's just hard for us to realize how awesome and ultimate the kingship of Jesus really is. What does it mean? As many of you know, I grew up in a, in a southern culture down in Tennessee where there's a lot of country music, gospel music, and so on. And I was just inundated with that music growing up. And I, to this day, still enjoy a lot of it. But there was a group that came from Oak Ridge, Tennessee, believe it or not. Oak Ridge, Tennessee. And they were called the Oak Ridge Boys. And boy, they had a lot of popular music in that day. And, and they had a song that was really catchy. And the words say, Nobody wants to play rhythm guitar behind Jesus. Everybody wants to be lead singer in the band. And I think that's a great line. But when Christ is the king in our lives, guess what? We play rhythm guitar. We can't be lead singer in the band. We bow our knees, indeed our whole lives, to Christ, the great king. So Jesus asked his disciples that incredible question, who do you say I am? And Peter steps forward and says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. 
Now, here we are on Palm Sunday. Next week is gonna be an amazing Sunday at Grace. Boy, I don't want you to miss it. We're gonna talk about how critical hope is and the role that hope plays where there's no hope for the future, there's no flourishing in the presence. Man, we're gonna celebrate next Sunday. But we're not there yet. This is the start of what's called Holy Week. And I'm gonna give you a challenge at the start of Holy Week. I believe that there are all kinds of Pied Pipers out there grabbing for your loyalty and attention and commitment every single day. In business, in amusement, in education, in leisure, in your private life, who is Christ to you? I think that's the greatest question, seeking the greatest answer which you will ever grapple with in your life. Be careful how you answer it. What have you concluded about Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? I close with this. C.S. Lewis was a revered Oxford scholar, and he wrote these oft-quoted words that I'm just gonna read to you now. C.S. Lewis said, a man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he's a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit on him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come, oh, I love this line. Let us not come. I wanna trumpet this to our world, which is trying to do this. Let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us and he never intended to. We must decide. Jesus won't let us off the hook. Will we listen to him as our great prophet? We will, will we come to him as our great priest? Will we follow him as the eternal king, the one to whom we give our lives? Would you pray with me, please? Father, it's a privilege to proclaim Jesus for who he is. Thank you for this incredible privilege. But Lord, I pray right now for all of those listening to this word, those with whom you're working and dealing, those that are grappling with that important question, who is Jesus to me? And I ask that Holy Spirit, God, the Holy Spirit, that you would right now do what only you can do. I can't convince anyone of who Jesus is. Only you can. Would you right now, sovereignly, in love, convince, convict, persuade, show the way, to everyone right now who's grappling 
honestly with that question. And God, I would ask one more thing, that you would not stop dealing with them until they declare, Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, my Savior and my Lord. Father, thank you for your relentless work in our lives, for all the people that you're drawing right now. May this be the moment where they cross over as they yield their lives to you and say yes right now in this moment to your invitation. And may Jesus be praised forever. Amen, amen.